0: Good morning, Word Church. We're so glad that you've joined us for this online service. We want to get right into God's Word. We believe that His Word is able to transform us. It's able to save us. It's able to do things in us that we couldn't do on our own because this is the living Word of God. And so today, I want to talk to you about the gospel. I mean, I know that's a term you've heard, like gospel music, gospel meeting. Uh, There's a lot of different uh, applications where we've used the word gospel, but Some of you may not know exactly what that means. You know, in the Bible, the word gospel literally means in the original language, the good news. It is the good news. And so there's there's all throughout the Bible, there's a talk. There's talk about this good news that was spread and good news that was preached. And it's crazy that sometimes we get to know the gospel. We get to learn the ins and outs of the theory and the doctrine of the gospel, but at some point, maybe it stopped becoming good news to you. Maybe, maybe it wasn't alive like it once was. And I'm, I'm praying that today that God would wake it up to you. God would stir it up in you. Because the truth of the matter is, is that the gospel is meant to be proclaimed. You know, when you read in the New Testament, when they preach the gospel, uh, we have to understand what that word meant, what that word preach meant. Because literally, actually, most of the time you see in the Bible, they, they went preaching the gospel, or Jesus preached the gospel, or he said this gospel must be preached. Or in Revelation, when it says the angel per- went to go preach, preach the gospel. Uh, all, you know, John the Baptist preached the gospel, it says. Every time it says this, you have to understand there's, there's just one word being used. It's not like our English language where we say preached the gospel. Now, in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, It's one word, proclaiming good news, to proclaim good news, to proclaim glad tidings, to announce good news. See, the gospel was never meant to be uh, just taught line by line as as, as in like a, a theory or something out of a textbook. It was meant to be announced. Now, thank God there's teaching Uh, that God wants us to receive. And he put teachers in the church. And the Bible says that Jesus went about teaching and preaching. And so we understand that there is a place for teaching, but that the gospel is not a theory to be taught. It's good news to be announced. And when you read the Bible, you see that the gospel is viral in nature. It, it spreads so fast. It's, it's, it's hard to contain. In fact, that was what stirred up the religious leaders to shut Jesus down and try to kill him. Was that the gospel was so contagious that in the book of Acts, why they felt like they had to uh, put these Christian leaders to death was because the gospel was spreading so fast. One of their enemies said, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. These are the men who've turned the world upside down. In the book of, Acts 19, uh, book of Acts chapter 19, it says that uh, um, the Apostle Paul was preaching and extraordinary miracles were taking place. And the Bible tells us that, that evil spirits were coming out and people were being delivered and set free and healed. And there was mighty things happening. But it talks about the fact that the church began, these new believers began to take their books of magic and sorcery and witchcraft, these, these uh, things that they considered part of their life and culture, uh, they began to take these very expensive books of magic, many of which had been passed on for generations, and they brought them and they burned them in, in public, like they burned their own books saying, we don't want any part of this anymore. And the Bible tells us that, that there was such an uproar, the, the gospel was spreading so rapidly that the opponents of the gospel were these people that were making their money off these these, these little idols and, and silver and copper and gold and, and these, these little idols that they were selling to people and saying like, this will help you and and, and and this will bring you good fortune and this will bless you. And and they were afraid they were going to go out of business. They said if these people keep preaching, uh, our, our, our city, Ephesus, like the goddess of our city, Artemis, will be... She's worshiped throughout all of Asia, but she'll be dethroned from her magnificence. She'll be brought low. If this keeps spreading, it says, they said, they're going to take over the world. And so I want you to know that I, I mean, we've, we've been in plenty of places on this planet in this day and age where the gospel is still spreading just like that. It's, it's exciting. It's rapid. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. But I have hope for our nation, too. I I have hope for where we live. Now, I realize that people are watching this from all over, and we often get comments from people in different parts of the world. And so, you know, this is going to be different in different places, but the gospel is the same. No matter where you live, the gospel is not meant to be contained, not meant to be controlled. It's meant to be spread. It's meant to be announced. You know, uh, um, when you're a little kid in our part of Canada, there's dandelions all over the the fields, you know, Um, and and when you own a home, the crazy thing is that dandelions are quite beautiful. They're they're yellow. They're beautiful. But when you own a home, they're very they're not good for a nice green lawn. And so most people, not everybody, but most people try to root those dandelions out. They try to dig those dandelions up because uh, those those weeds take over your lawn like they spread fast. And and one of the things that happens is that yellow flower, over time, uh, begins to die. And and when it dies, it actually turns into this fuzz that the wind catches and it launches the spores all over the neighborhood. It it brings them far and wide. And, And sometimes, you know, as far as life is concerned, that's a beautiful thing. As a homeowner with a lawn that you're trying to keep, That's a terrible thing because you have people in your neighborhood that uh, keep a good lawn that have weeded their lawn, that water it, and then you have people in your neighborhood that have not paid one lick of attention to their lawn and it's full of dandelions. And you know no matter how hard you work to keep those dandelions out of your lawn that someday, we live in a very windy city, someday a wind is gonna blow from those guys down the street and those spores are gonna come right to your lawn and you're gonna be right back at square one weeding them out, trying to get them out. And when you have a little kid, little kids love dandelions because they're flowers that they're allowed to pick. Where we live, there's so many times, you know, when you're in the national parks or you're in, you're in a public place where flowers have been planted, you have these beautiful flowers, but you tell your kids, you can't pick that. That's not for picking. You have to leave it there. But dandelions, they're allowed to pick as many as they want and they come and they bring them proudly to their mother. But one of the things they love to do is when those dandelions get to the fuzz stage, a a child always loves to just blow those dandelion spores, just watch them spread. It's, it's It's something in our area that every kid loves to do. But as parents, when you're in the park or something, that's fine, you laugh. But when it's in your lawn and you see that child bring up that dandelion and take a breath and begin to blow, it's almost like everything goes into slow motion. And you go into this Secret Service-like style tackle. You don't want them to blow those dandelion spores all over your lawn because you know that once those spores hit the wind, ah, these things are going to spread When you read the gospel, when you read the gospels, when Jesus is preaching and ministering, when you read the book of Acts, when you read the the letters to the churches, you see that the gospel was meant to be like those dandelions, not in the sense that it's a weed, but in the sense that it is is so full of life and so vibrant that it doesn't need your help to grow. It just needs wind. It just needs you to blow it. It just needs you to spread it. Like God brings the growth. God is the one that gives life. But we're the ones that are meant to carry it and spread it and throw it out there and blow on the flower and and just spread that good news. And it sounds like something that's so easy because good news is easy to share. But of course, you know that the Bible tells us that the gospel, Paul says that everywhere we go, we are the the fragrance of Christ. We're the aroma of Christ. When we preach the gospel, we bring the fragrance of Jesus. But he says to those that are perishing, it smells like death, which is a crazy thought because you think how can one thing smell so good to somebody and so smell so bad to someone else? You know, I, I back in December had contracted COVID and and um, it affected my my smell really badly. For a long time, I, I couldn't smell and then I, I couldn't taste and it was really not fun at all. And then my smell began to come back. But I noticed something that even that, that even for a long period after, I would smell these things that used to smell really good to me. But something was still off. Like it smelled terrible to me now. Like something was still broken in my taste buds. Something was still broken in my smell where something that that it was a beautiful fragrance a shampoo that i liked or uh, um, you know a product i liked to eat you know it, all of a sudden it tasted terrible to me and and i knew that it shouldn't taste terrible that that what i was eating was actually supposed to be sweet why does it taste noxious why does it taste bitter and and, and weird It wasn't the food's fault it was my own taste buds and you know the bible talks about the god of this world blinding the eyes of those that don't believe and there's something that happens when you live in this world long enough because our world is broken our world is under the curse of the law and of sin and death but jesus came to set us free from that and the thing is is that paul says we actually smell like christ He he doesn't just say we smell like christ to believers he says we do smell like christ but To to one who is perishing, it's a reminder that they need Jesus because it's the fragrance of death because you realize that a big part of the gospel is that without this good news, we die. And so for those that reject the good news, it's a reminder of death. It's a fragrance of death. And so Paul says we smell great to some people and some people can't stand the sight or the smell of us. Maybe sometimes that's what keeps us from believing that this is good news to all, but it is. I want to read something to you in the book of Luke chapter 4. And of course, this is so foundational and you've probably read it. If you're a believer, you've read this several times and you should read it many, many more times because here's what happens. Jesus has come out of the desert, out of the temptation in the wilderness. And the Bible says he came out full of the spirit and he went to his own hometown and began to preach. And he stood up in the synagogue on the day where they met and he stood up to read the appointed scripture, and it was out of the book of Isaiah, and it says this in Luke chapter four, verse 17. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember, preach the gospel is just one word to announce good news. He anointed me, he empowered me, he filled me. He equipped me to preach good news, to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And I began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's what I'm here to do. We call this Jesus's life verse. This is his mission. Now, you can't just say this verse alone is his life verse because he, he was the living word of God. But this is such a powerful explanation of why he was here and a description of what he was anointed to do. I want you to notice something. He says here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. Now when you're anointed, that means you're empowered for something. You're equipped for something. You're deputized for something. The spirit is on you and in you for a purpose. He says he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And, and, and I know that, that this can mean a couple of things. Number one, we know Jesus had such a heart for those that society had knocked down. He had such a heart for those that were, that were in financial difficulties, that were in lower castes of society. But I also really do believe that when he says the poor, yes, he's talking about the naturally poor, but he's also talking a material poor. But he's, think about it. When you hear him speak, he begins to reveal a different kind of poverty, a spiritual poverty. And what is poverty except the, the state of not having enough? He came to preach the gospel to people that needed it. And friends, that's you and that was me. We were all that person that was poor and needed something. And he says, I've come to give good news to you. He says, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Now, when we see and and picture Jesus setting free captives, we picture him going and kicking down prison doors, and he did that. But what he's saying here is, I've first been sent to proclaim it, to say it, to announce it, to preach it. And when you announce it, here's the deal, whenever he announced it, number one, there was power in the preaching. There was power in the announcement so that in the very act of preaching it, people were set free. But also in the announcing, it evokes a response from us. This is what happened when the gospel was announced to you. You had to do something about it. The gospel being preached to you didn't save you by itself. It puts you in a position to respond to it. And when you responded to it, you were saved. And so Jesus said, in every place, now he preached this message, he, he preached from this place, in every village he went to, he proclaimed release to the captives. And if captives heard it and said, I want to be free, they were set free. He, he goes to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. So we can infer from that when he says to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. We know that he's saying to pro- also to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind so Jesus came and said I'm proclaiming I'm telling you the blind can be made whole you can receive your sight both physically and spiritually he did this then he goes on and says to set free those that are oppressed to proclaim once again to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord the year of jubilee and, and in, in, in in Jewish culture and, and, and Jewish law according to God that was the year of where all the slaves went free, where all the debts were forgiven, where everything was made right. And so Jesus is saying that this is not just a 365-day period. I've, I've come to proclaim that now this is the time, the season, this is the age of God's favor because of what he was going to do. Because Jesus didn't just proclaim that those three years he was on the earth were a special time of God's favor. But through his death and his resurrection, he made that the state. He made that the state of the of of, of the world and of the church was that if you would receive what he was giving. If you received that gift of salvation, that gift of righteousness, that death and resurrection, you would step into something. You would become a child of God. You would become part of the family. You would be made righteous before God. God would not view you as an enemy, but as a son or a daughter that you were now made right with God. And Jesus starts off his ministry with a bang. This is what I'm here to proclaim. This is what I'm here to announce. You see, I really believe that the gospel is always meant to be announced. There has to be teaching. There has to be um, um, uh, different ways of communicating. But I believe that if it's good, it's meant to be announced first. Like, this is good news. There are things to be taught, yes. But before there's even teaching, there's got to be an announcing. And the church is meant to be the amplifier, the mouthpiece, the loudspeaker for this announcement. The gospel is still good news. And over the next few weeks, friends, I want us to dig into what that means and and really just begin to embrace it. Once again, I, I really don't want you to just learn something new about the gospel. I want you to fall in love with it again. I want you to fall in love with the glory of God. You know, because that's really what happens is that when we fall in love with the glory of God and who He is and what it means to be brought back to Him, what it means to be brought back to right relationship with God, your world is never going to be the same again. I mean, come on, friends. If it is, then we're missing something because wouldn't everything be different? The gospel is the doorway. It's the doorway to all that God has. It is the entrance because of His death. And the resurrection, then we are brought into fellowship with God. We are reconciled to God. And the Bible tells us that the gospel that people are blinded from, it is the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's, it's, the, it's the gospel that brings the light of the glory of Christ, where God's glory is reflected in the face of Christ. That's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Think about it. See, the end of the gospel is not the cross and the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection is core. It's central. Everything we do is founded on it, but it's not the end goal. The cross and the resurrection was to bring you back to relationship with God, to bring you to righteousness, to make you a new creation. So the Bible tells us that old things have passed away, but then he says, behold, pay attention, new things have come. And so the gospel, the, 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 the gospel is not just about the death and the resurrection. That is central and core. You can't have the gospel without it. But the gospel is a doorway. The, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the doorway to all that comes with a relationship with God and to fully see the glory of God. And isn't it wonderful? But here in North America, we have churches full of people that are bored, Or maybe they're not bored, but maybe they're scared. Or maybe they lack compassion or love, but for some reason, sometimes the, the very church that's meant to be blowing the dandelion spores becomes the box that encloses the dandelion. The very church that's meant to be a loudspeaker for the gospel sometimes becomes the very soundproof walls that keep it loud in the room, but not far beyond it. My goal over the next few weeks, friends, by the power of God, is that you would be gripped once again by the Spirit of God, by the love of God, by the power of God, and you would embrace the power of the gospel. I want to read something to you that Paul said to the Thessalonians, um, and and I I find it just so encouraging because he talks about how they received the, the, uh, the gospel. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, He says, verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so when it's really the word of God, tribulation can't squish it. The gospel cannot be put out by tribulation. For centuries, people have tried to kill the gospel with hardship and tribulation, and it only serves to spread it. It does not keep the gospel from spreading. It can't. But if that's going to happen, then we have to remember what Jesus said. In order for you not to be put out or choked out or or scorched by tribulation where it kills your fruit, you have to let those roots go down deep. You have to let the seed go deeper than the surface because Jesus said somebody who has just let this message be a a good message, something we talk about at church, something we learn about at Bible study, if that's all it is to you, and it never goes deeper than that, then he says when tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, when affliction comes because of the word as a response to the power of God's word, then what will happen if you don't have any roots, he says you'll be scorched, you'll be burned up and you'll fall away. And so friends, we need to be prepared for the fact that any time in the history that the gospel's ever had power, real power, where the church moved and thrived and and saw growth, there was always a kickback. There was always pushback. Because if you don't want to experience any pushback or any persecution or tribulation, if you want to stay away from that, then don't spread the gospel. People are okay if you keep your little belief in your little silo. But when the gospel really begins to impact lives and change communities and begin to spread, that's when in Acts chapter 19, it says the word of the Lord was growing mightily and was spreading rapidly and was prevailing. That's what it says. It was growing mightily and was prevailing. It was winning. That's when they started a riot and tried to kill the Christians was when the word of God started to win and grow mightily. Friends, when the word really spreads, that's when there's pushback, but don't fear the pushback. Here he says to the Thessalonians, you receive the word in the midst of tribulation, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, the word is always, the gospel always brings joy when it's received in faith. The angels announced to the shepherds, this this is going to be good news, which will be for all the people. Good news of great joy, which is for all the people. We're announcing to you today good news that brings great joy and it's for everybody. Man, I can't think of a better description of the gospel. But if it doesn't seem like that to you, if you see it as a chore, if you see it as a hard thing, to I know I gotta do it to get the stars on my chart. Like if I don't do it, I'm not getting my stickers at the end of the year. If that's the way you see it, it'll be a burden to you. But when you have the love of God, the power of God, the sound mind of the Spirit, when you are letting the Holy Spirit fill you, propel you, the love of God to control you, as Paul said, then you can't help but spread it. He says here, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Echiah. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Echiah, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You see, he says, here's what the gospel did in you. You became a sounding board. The word echoed forth from you. He said in all of Macedonia and Achaia, like, those are two major Roman provinces. Macedonia is like what we would see now as, as the country of Macedonia, but also northern Greece. And Achaia was like southern Greece. And this is a big part of the empire. This is the center of intellectual thought in the, in the Roman empire. Even though Rome is the center of government, Greece is still seen as the, as the heart of culture and the heart of academia. And this is the place where ideas come forth. And it's really competitive, these different philosophies and ideas, yet the gospel, which starts out being spread by 12 nobodies as far as the world is concerned, fishermen and tax collectors and and zealots and dreamers, but just people that you wouldn't have picked to lead a, a massive movement, these people became the start. of a a church that grew so rapidly that it turned the world upside down. And Paul says here in Greece, in Achaia and in Macedonia, he says the word, everybody's heard. And he says, they haven't even heard it from us. They've heard it from you, they've heard about you. Let me read that to you again. He He says, so the word, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. We see the same thing in Ephesus. Paul began, Paul found 12 people, 12 believers, who didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. They knew about the baptism of John, they knew about Jesus to a degree, but thought they were believers but hadn't received the Spirit. And so he prays and, and they received the Holy Spirit and then he starts this little Bible school. I mean he starts meeting, the, the synagogue won't have him, and so he's meeting in the school of Tyrannus, which is a school of philosophy. It's, it's a place where these ideas are being preached. And the Bible says he he met in the day. So maybe he met in in the, the hours where no one else was booking it because it was too hot. But these disciples, he said, the Bible says they were teaching and preaching daily. And then it says this, as he were preaching daily for a period of about three years, he was teaching them. And then he'd go and he'd minister in the synagogue. He'd preach in different places, but he kept discipling these believers It says, so the gospel spread throughout all of Asia. Asia Minor, this is the province we're talking about, was a Roman province It was basically all of Turkey. Like, this is a huge part, just a whole province. The gospel spread because of one group of people in one city. See, the church is not meant to be the box for the gospel. It's meant to be the fan that blows the spores. But you guys... When you see it in in, in Acts chapter seven, and you see it in Acts chapter 12, and you see it in Acts chapter 19, you see it all throughout Jesus' ministry. It says everywhere he went, in Luke chapter four, right after that, it says that the word word of him spread throughout all of the district so that people kept bringing their their sick and their demon-possessed, and then it goes on, and it says it again. In fact, at one point, word was spreading so rapidly, he had to say to some people, just keep this part to yourself, because it's not time for me to be revealed that way. There were so many times where you see it spread beyond anybody's capability to contain it. Even Jesus, it says the word spread so fast that he had to find a place that was isolated so he could spend time with God. But it was because there was power there. That's what it says here, there was power. You see, the gospel is meant to be announced, but it's also meant to be lived. So, you know, uh, if there was a, a major theme park that you wanted to go to, you know, and, and, and you began to study up on it and you watch the YouTube vloggers that tell you about all the rides to hit and, and how amazing this place is, you could watch those videos and go, wow, it almost feels like I'm there. And you could get the, the app on your phone and, and look at the maps and, and plan out where you would go if you were there. You could, you could play a video game based on it and walk your little virtual character through the streets. But at some point, learning about that theme park would grow stale. Learning about it, learning the, 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 studying the map and, and, and looking at all the rides by itself, that grows stale until you go and you experience it. Until you go and you ride that log ride down the waterfall until you go and you ride that roller coaster and you go and you eat that churro and you go and experience what it's like to see all these characters come to life or this place come to life. When you walk it, then you really fall in love because you're experiencing it. You see, the gospel can never be just a place we talk about or a thing we talk about, but we don't live. If it really is the power of God, and that's what Paul said. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to those that believe. You know, this is is the reality, that that when the gospel is powerful and the word of God is life-giving, we have to be not only inviting people to the table, we got to pull up to the table. And friends, sometimes that's what we forget to do we talk a good game about the gospel. We forget to let it be part of our every life and every bit of life. And so over the next few weeks, I know this is a bit of a strange sermon because it's a bit of an intro to some other things. I want to stir in you. I believe God's going to stir in us a love for the gospel, a love for the glory of God that we would stand and just glory in him and glory in the cross and glory in the resurrection and glory in his righteousness and glory in his face and And just fall in love again with him and fall in love even more with him and with the gospel that is so powerful, but also that he would give us a love for those around us that don't yet have the gospel, haven't yet received it. Because when you really love Jesus, you're going to love what he loves. You're going to love who he loves. When you love God, you're going to love what he loves. And the Bible tells us Jesus said it himself, God loved the world so much that he gave his son. See, sometimes we read it like these disciples, these people that spread the gospel did it and hated it. You know, it was hard work, but they did it so they could get a reward in heaven. Yeah, they, they did talk about receiving a reward in heaven and they did talk about hardship. But when you read, it, it's not all hardship. Like there's hardship they endure, but the preaching the gospel is not the hardship ministering to people, seeing healing take place, seeing God work. That's not the hardship. The hardship was what people threw at them, the response, the the tribulation they had to go through to get the gospel. But the gospel itself was not the chore. It was good news. Like I said, Paul said, the love of Christ compels us, controls us. We do what we do because we have the love of Christ in us. Not just love for Christ, but the love of Christ for you. And he talks about it, he talks about having the affections of Christ for people. Jesus, the Bible says, he landed on the shore, and these people, he was trying, his his cousin John had died, and he just needed to get away and be with the Father. He needed to get away and pray. And so he says, find me an isolated place. And when they took him across the sea to a place, there shouldn't have been any people. Word had spread throughout the crowds, and the crowds went to this isolated place and met him on the shore. He had such a crowd that was waiting on him to speak, to proclaim, to heal, that when he got to the shore expecting to find some solitude and some quiet, he found a crowd waiting. And the Bible says this, he was moved with compassion for they were like sheep without a shepherd, distressed. And he says he was moved with compassion so he began to teach them. Jesus saw them instead of seeing people that ruined his time alone he saw people that he loved he was moved the word moved with compassion literally in the Greek means he was is translated he's moved with his guts he he moved in his most inner place for them that's what love will do so friends we're going to talk about the practical ways that we can fall in love with the gospel fall in love with God really I mean I know you love God I know you love Jesus but we can also always go deeper in that. And we're gonna talk about the gospel at its core and how it affects our life and how it affects, how it's meant to be proclaimed and lived out and how it, how it applies to everything in our lives, how it is a gateway to living a life like if we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, how does that change everything? And so we're gonna just talk about it and we're gonna experience it, we're gonna live it out. And I believe that this is going to have an effect. I really am praying and believing that wherever you are, if you'll really receive it, if we'll really get it and you'll get into community with people that will walk this out with you, you're going to see a change in your city, you're gonna see a change in your home, you're gonna see a change in your marriage, you're gonna see a change in your workplace because that's what, He does. Let's let the word prevail in us. Let's let it grow in us. Let's let it prevail in us so that it can grow and prevail out there. I believe that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness into your kingdom of marvelous light, into the glorious kingdom of your beloved son. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to live our old life. We've been brought into a new one. So Lord, for the times we've grown apathetic, for the times we've grown cold, for the times we've grown bored because we haven't been pulling up to the table. Revive us, oh God, revive us. We receive your invitation back to the table. We wanna wanna fall in love with the gospel again. We want the joy to come back. That joy you talked about where the sower and the reaper would rejoice together as they sowed and as they brought in the harvest. Lord, bring us back to that place of joy. God, I pray right now for every person that feels like they, something inside them has fallen asleep or even died. God, you said that there was a church in Revelation that you talked to, and you said yourself, Jesus, that, that they were so near death, that they had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. You said, go back and strengthen the things that remain Go back and go back to your first love. Go back to these things. You told them the things, strengthen those things that remain that were about to die. You said that you hadn't found their deeds completed. You weren't done with them. You still wanted to use them. And you brought revival to that church. And so revive us too, Lord. Even those of us that feel like, man, I'm walking in revival. God, bring us to a deeper level of it. We know that this is not meant to be contained, but it's meant to be spread rapidly. And so Lord, let it spread rapidly in our own heart. If we have cordoned off any areas of our life, if we have uh, um, quarantined ourselves and said, the gospel works here, but not here. God, I pray that you would break down every wall that we have placed around your goodness, around your truth, around your holiness, around your righteousness, and, and tried to live our own way in this area. God, we repent of it and we turn and we believe the gospel. Just like you said, repent and believe the gospel. So we repent, we turn, and we believe your good news. And we thank you for it, Lord. Reveal it to us greater and greater. Let us walk in it. Let us flow in it. Let us swim in it. In Jesus' name, amen.